Julian Pensavale. Patrick Hines, banana. Well, no, we, you, we do the banana together, right? <laughs> I got nervous. I got really you nervous. You were like staring at me, like, <laughs> and then I didn't know I what to do. I can't remember if I'm allowed to do the banana or not. Off to a great start today. <laughs> um, girl, before we get to the episode, we gotta just re- again remind the people about our Patreon. Oh my god! We're up to serial episode four, plus all the bonus stuff. But the serial stuff is getting so crazy. I think that I have never laughed so hard as I did during serial episode three. When you asked if I was trying to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, someone asked in the in the true crime discussion uh, Facebook group how I keep a straight face while you're laughing. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you could hear me trying to stifle laughter. In the series, in the episode three, you can hear me like break a little. Yeah. But it's hard. Yeah. The thing about that that you do that's so funny is when I start to laugh really hard, you just double down on the joke and you just I just keep going. <laughs> How many times did you make up an email address for Sarah? Seven hundred <laughs> times. Like you you say double down, I say run that shit into the ground. I apologize, everybody. <laughs> so sorry about that. Um, so you guys you can find all you can find all of our bonus episodes at Patreon dot com slash true crime obsessed or you can find the link on our website you guys we're also making another podcast oh my god it's called my so-called podcast it's all about my so-called life it is you guys i don't know if you are fans or not but we have been tweeting with wilson cruz okay hero bell for wilson i like when i got that notification i i you know when you just like happen to be on your phone and a notification pops up i didn't know what to do. I instantly, I didn't even think about it. I just screenshot it. I, I didn't even, I was like, well, I don't know what to do. And then like sent it to you. It, I freaked I out. Know. Wilson, ah. Check it out wherever you get your podcast. Or you can stream it at my so-called podcast.todaytix.com. I think that's it. Should we get to the show? I think so, yeah. Girl, what, what on earth are we talking uh, about today? I, <laughs> do you need a minute? I do. Uh, author, the JT Leroy story, yeah. which everyone in, insists on calling JT Leroy. <laughs> like, half the people in this, which are all, like, journalists on, like, Fox 5. You know, yeah, like, totally, really basic totally. local news. You guys should know like, better. JT Leroy. Right. <laughs> I want to tell the listeners that, like, I was obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with JT Leroy. I know. And I don't get it. I've been doing... <laughs> I've been, t- I've been telling you about this like for weeks now. When when I was like totally into it, I didn't know if he was real, if he was a she, if she was a he. Right. If it was a hoax, I didn't know. I bought all the books the minute they came out. I tried to go to the readings. I couldn't get tickets. It was a, it was a crazy literary time around 2000, 2001. I was going to say the late 90s were like a lot weirder than I remember yeah. them, especially in this world. I was like, oh my God, everyone was just insane and super gullible. But gullible and also like the internet just wasn't really a thing as much as it is now. Yeah. Like you could never pull this off now. I mean, no. We should just, try. Yeah, right. We would have, there's no way we'd be able to do it. We're both too honest and transparent. We'd and like, like ridiculous and I'm too stupid. And, and, I could never get away with it. Oh, no, you're genius. And, but in the beginning of this podcast, we'd be like, you guys, we have a new podcast, my so-called podcast. We also have like three different new personas now. <laughs> Come buy our books. They're under the name. Blah, 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 blah. That's totally. just how we would do it. We like don't have any chill at all. J.T. Leroy is a 21-year-old writer with two books of fiction based on his experiences as the son of a truck stop prostitute. Hi, I'm J.T. Jeremiah Terminator Leroy. There's not a lot of discovery in publishing. William Burroughs, Janae, Allen Ginsberg, to hear a new voice was exciting. He doesn't like to show his face to the press. 
JT, I just thank you from the bottom of my heart. Some people think that JT Leroy might not really exist. My name's Laura Albert, and I am the writer, JT Leroy. I felt like a misfit. I didn't want to write as myself. JT Leroy was created from my dream. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy, turning tricks, living on the street. The books were taking off. JT had to walk amongst us. Savannah was over at my house, and I said, you look like JT Leroy. You wear the sunglasses, a blonde wig. It was like Frankenstein, let there be life. JT Leroy is a literary it boy. It was a revolving door of celebrities. We see Bono giving JT industry advice. Suddenly, JT is the go-to person for the fashion world. I showed just enough to make them interested. The media was tugging pretty hard at the curtain. It turns out he may not be a he and may not even exist. People are calling me. I don't know if this thing is bad or not. What the heck is going on? Hey, I really need to talk to you. I didn't know how to shut it down. There's a helicopter going. You feel like good It feels like the whole world is watching. We're not filming now, right? Suddenly, I got a call. Warren St. John from the New York Times. He says, I'm going to get you. He knows everything. There is a huge tornado that's about to hit. All the headlines are saying the biggest literary hoax of our time. It is not a hoax. I am, I gotta tell you, I am like on a different plan. I'm so ready for to, to have this conversation with you. I'm like, I'm primed for this. I hated every second of this documentary. <laughs> it's an hour and 50 minutes. It's which way is too long. An hour and 47 minutes too yeah, long as totally. far as I'm concerned. It could be a three minute synopsis. And it like, should, the three minutes should be Winona Ryder and Courtney Love just like doing drugs together. Okay, so the movie opens with Winona Ryder. <laughs> Stoned. <laughs> Or something, tripping or something. And it's like this up-close footage of her, and she's like... And I thank JT from the bottom of my heart and soul. I love you, Madonna. <laughs> I love you, JT. You are an inspiration. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and my soul. And I'm like, well, no, no. First, she looks great. She all, when I read her, always looks great. Mugshot, whatever. And she's like, JT is such an inspiration. And I'm like, Winona, and she's like, like blinking slowly. And she's like, oh my god. Uh. Then, oh, you guys, podcast royalty makes an appearance right at the top. Our good friend, we don't know her, we've never met her, Terry Gross from Fresh Air. Ah. Pops up. It's a it's a good little synopsis of like what the JT Leroy thing was. Right. So here's what Terry Gross says. My guest JT Leroy is a 21 year old writer with two books of fiction based on his experiences as the son of a truck stop prostitute. When Leroy was 15, his therapist Dr. Terry Owens encouraged him to write. Although Leroy is forthcoming about his life, he doesn't like to show his face to the press and does most of his interviews by phone. First of all, this is, documentary is so incredibly one-sided, I can't even stand yeah. it. 
But then we go into these voicemails. It's, this like audio montage of voicemails yeah. from like Tatum O'Neill on so Christmas Eve. We assume it's Tatum O'Neill. It just says Tatum. It's I'm like, Tatum O'Neill. It has to be Tatum O'Neill. It's one zillion percent Tatum O'Neill. Go back and compare the audio to that Sex in the City episode she's on. It's the same voice. Do it. Do it. Hi, JT. This is Tatum. Hi, hi, hi. It's Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas, baby. Wait, who else calls? Gus Van Zandt. Who I love Gus Van Zandt. I love Gus Van Zandt. His request, the reason he's calling is amazing. I got a question about hustling. (laughs) What is happening? Hello, Jeremy. It's Gus calling you from Portland with a question about hustling. I thought maybe you might be able to answer we are off and running. <laughs> who else is on that? Ari? I don't know who that is. Ari's like, hey, Madonna told me she sent you those Madonna, those Kabbalah books. <laughs> hey, JT, it's Ari. Yeah, Madonna told me she sent you some Kabbalah books, which is really cool. I hope you like them. I want to talk to you. Bye. Hope you love them. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> Can you just imagine JT Leroy going to like the Kabbalah Center? No. No. Because it's all Shit. <laughs> then Ms. Courtney Love. The original True Crime Obsessed listener. The first, our biggest fan, Courtney Love. President of the True Crime Obsessed fan <laughs> Courtney Love. She is at the Four Seasons. Of course she is. Under the name A.R. Wright for always fucking right. Courtney, calm. Why is she even yelling at her friends or the people she's kissing up to? Like, Courtney. I know. I tell her to take some Black Beauties and Scotch, but you know she's on it already. <laughs> But call us at but the same us. time. And lastly, Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins, who refers to himself as the Corganator. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm calling for uh, JT. JT the Roy. Famous underground gay it lip boy. Don't be afraid. It's just the Corganator. Billy, call me back. Billy Corgan plays a major role here towards who the knew? end. Who <laughs> knew? How you doing, Billy? How's that band Zwan going? Not well? You guys are back to the Smashing Pumpkins? Great. I'm not going to survive. I'm not. This is my dream. I'm so excited that we're talking about this. So we meet just right away, just to let you guys know who exactly we're talking about. Laura Albert, a.k.a. this bitch, a.k.a. JT Leroy, a.k.a. Emily Frazier, a.k.a. whoever. Um, a.k.a. Um, um, uh, Quickie. What does she call her? Speedy. <laughs> A.K.A., A.K.A., but most importantly, this bitch. I can't. The return of this bitch, you guys, because no one deserves it more, in my opinion. Oh, my God. She is, I mean, it's her movie in the sense that not only is it about her, but, like, it's from her point of view. That's why I mean it's one-sided. Totally. One million percent. And she recorded every phone call she ever had and all of these voicemails, so that's where all the audio is coming from. Right. It's almost as though from the beginning she was like, we're going to make a documentary someday. (laughs) You guys, I can't. I can't. I just, I'm having, like... So now we're sort of at San Francisco with Laura Alpert, two years before the JT Leroy thing takes off. Right. And she's super depressed, and she moves into this apartment with her boyfriend. Jeff Knoop. 
So, and she's really depressed, and she says she was just making calls, thinking about dying. So she decides to call this, like, child crisis helpline. Right. As a 28-year-old woman posing as a 13-year-old boy. And I called child crisis. It was a number that you could call when you were in pain. I remember I didn't know what was going to come out of me. I didn't know who was going to bubble up. And this man answered. Hi, I'm Dr. Terrence Owens. I'm the clinical director of the Masonic Center for Youth and Families. You know, Dr. Terrence Owens answer, asks her her name, and she's like, I said the name Terminator, which I, Laura Albert, never would have said because it's a stupid fucking name. But that, that was his name. He was 13, turning tricks, living on the street. Can we just dive in on that for a second? Because she says that it never occurred to her to pretend to be herself. Right. Like, she, the only way that she knows how to, like, deal with these feelings or deal, like, to talk about any truth about how she's feeling is to pretend to be a 13-year-old boy. Is to totally regress and yeah. go back to being a child. Yeah, so, like, that first time she calls and she, like, she gets off the phone with him and then he's like, call me back tomorrow. And she's like, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And she's like, I don't know if the Terminator would call back or not. <laughs> Yes, you do. <laughs> you have your recorder and the Maxell tapes. Like, you, yes, you do. You know. It's totally going to happen. It would be boring if it didn't. Right, totally. What, you, what else are you going to do? But he did, and he was there. And slowly my life began to revolve around talking to Dr. Owens that next day. So it's as if my world was underwater. And then for that half an hour, Terminator would talk to him. It was <gasps> a gasp of air. And then I'd go under. So now we go back to Brooklyn in 1977 and we get sort of like the we get sort of like Laura's backstory. We get a story. <laughs> I don't know. Her credibility yeah. is fucking shot. I agree. And so basically we learned that like her parents got divorced when they when she was a kid and her mom started dating a whole bunch of men that just wanted to like have sex with her as a child. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. Yeah. She was going like with a different guy all the time. A lot of sleaze bags that would come on to me that would, you know, try shit. Like one that would call me up in the middle of the night and tell me he loved me. He wanted to be my father, but he also wanted to be my lover. And my mom's seeing this shit, too. She's seeing how fucked up it is, too. So then Dr. Owens, she, she, she keeps up the phone calls with this, with this guy, this, right. this doctor. And he decide, he tells her, you know what? Maybe, like, Terminator or whatever. Uh, <laughs> you should just start writing things down. That should help with the trauma. And he says what, what you really always say. It doesn't have to make sense. It's just for you. Just, it helps you get the thoughts out. And yeah. it's true. It'd be remarkable if you were the evil to write about your relationships with other people. I really don't think I, I have the ability to write. Just put it down. It doesn't matter how it looks or how it sounds. Write about it entirely for yourself. And she's like, or <laughs> I could scam a whole bunch of people. <laughs> Interesting. What Terminator wrote was completely different. It really surprised me. He wrote this piece called Baby Doll. When Jesus died, angels cried, and their tears turned to stones. 
So she does this writing, right? She does it as JT Leroy. They've decided that his name is Jeremiah Terminator Leroy. Right. Has never met this Dr. Owens in person. Mm-hmm. She, this Laura person, decides that she's got to go and like deliver this story she's been working on. She's going to take it to Dr. Owens at the hospital. And she tells the story about pedaling a bicycle that made me laugh so hard. And I rode all the way over to the hospital. Terminator is driving... I'm pedaling, but he's driving. She was she was physically pedaling, but JT Leroy was steering. <laughs> yes. So JT Leroy knew how to get to Dr. Owens. <laughs> she's doing that thing where she's saying that like I was physically doing the movement, but I but JT Leroy had taken over my body. Right, and this is a theme, you guys. Right. <laughs> but then when she gets there, oh my god, she's suddenly speedy, and now she's British. So I get there, they page Dr. Owens. I am so. Terrified. I meet Dr. Owens and he asked me what my name is. And I just thought, how did I get here? Really fast. Speedy. <laughs> that became my name. She was, hello, I'm Speedy. Nice to meet you. She's British. The thing is, when she gets there, she she has to like she realizes she's going to meet the doctor and she's going to have to explain who she is, uh-huh. and she just comes up with it on the spot. Not to mention the fact that her British accent is bogus. It's the worst. It is horrible. Yeah, it's worse than mine, which is saying a lot. <laughs> I cannot do accents, you guys. And at one point, Laura says she uh, very clearly does not like being in her own self, and she's always obviously young, a different persona. Like she, there's a lot happening. She doesn't like being herself clearly. Yeah. But she says, like, she would never, you know, pray that she wanted to be, like, this beautiful girl. And I used to pray, not God, please make me a beautiful, pretty girl. It was, let me wake up as a cute, blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy that a man would love and want to fuck. <laughs> She's like into pedophilia. It's very strange. It's, it's very, very strange. Like when I heard that, I was like, what is happening? I know. Like I just hated it. Yeah. No, same. And then like, this is just the beginning, you guys. Right. Like, I mean, I can't. <laughs> so quickly she realizes that she's got to start like, there needs to be more people involved in this. Right. So she she starts like invent, she starts like bringing in her family. She brings in her boyfriend, Jeff, and, and like invents this persona, Aster. And he does it. I know. He does it. He's just like, okay, no, I'm Aster, derp, derp, derp. Like, what? There wasn't that much time where Jeremy was homeless. And eventually he got this boyfriend, Aster. So you have this cast of characters. And suddenly I need Aster to be Jeff. Because Aster didn't exist. Aster was just on the astral plane. So it came to pass that Jeremy is now living with Speedy and Aster as a family. Can we talk about the Barbies? Okay. (laughs) You guys, I am like holding, squeezing my temples. So this is another one of those, like we take a a trip back to Laura's past. 1970. (laughs) Being with my Barbies, I controlled and ordered the universe. And my Barbie world was not a happy world. She... I, I she describes that at first she's like I loved my Barbie world I could control it and I'm like well that's the point right, right like yeah. you know we know that her family is kind of is you know Garbage. falling apart and yeah. you know blah, blah 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 
And then she goes into this thing and I almost like stood up and was like, I'm not watching the rest of this fucking thing. She would talk about how she's like, yeah, but the Barbie world, it was not a happy world. And I'm like, oh my God. I'd make these really intense, very intense stories. My Barbies committed crimes of rape and assault and child abuse. They were injured and I could make them bleed they were given black eyes but people would be like oh let's go to barbie's dream house and like i'll sip tea or whatever i don't know i didn't play with barbies but like whatever (laughs) (laughs) shocking right um in in that world they would be assaulting each other and torturing each other and raping each other yeah and it i was like oh oh i am triggered oh my god i know so crazy there's so many instances where any sane human being like she there's one point where she has the barbies lined up naked with their bums in the air because they're about to receive punishment bums <laughs> i'm sorry i have a four-year-old these you, are the words you got that from london like six months ago don't don't madonna me don't you dare do it don't you dare do it <laughs> But of course, again, like there's documentation of all of it. Right. There's like actual pictures of her as a little girl. Right. Somebody Who took-, took the photo. <laughs> Somebody took that picture and then did not immediately rush her into counseling. That's I didn't even think of that. Somebody took that photo yeah. and then did not immediately seek medical attention. Well, according to her, they dropped her off at a med- mental institution twice. Oh my god. According to her, but I don't know. I know. Like I have no idea. I know. So part of the story is that JT Leroy is a homeless teenager who has HIV. Okay, I forgot about that. And it comes Not out- an HIV at lying about it. <laughs> Let's be perfectly fucking clear. Yes. <laughs> lying about it. <laughs> lying about it is getting the bell. <laughs> <laughs> lying about it. <laughs> but yeah, so they say that she was a like a truck stop hooker. They call him Lot Lizards. Lot Lizards, just like his mother, Sarah, which is what the first book is about. Uh-huh. More gradually came out that the AIDS that he had was probably caught from one of his mother's boyfriends who had abused him. And his high voice was probably due to the fact that his genitals had been mutilated so that he never went into puberty. Yeah. And then he also says puberty. (laughs) Puberty, you guys. What is wrong? Why can't anybody say that word? You guys, it's just puberty. I know. Sound it out. Who was the one who was Potuberance or whatever? It was Puritans. It was from The Voyeur. Oh, God. <laughs> that bitch. <laughs> so now, like, the writing is really taking off. People are really recognizing that this, like, 13-year-old transgendered <sighs> homeless kid is a great writer. Which is, just for 100% clarity, that's what Laura is pretending to be with J.T. Leroy. Right. There's not a lot of discovery in publishing anymore to hear a new voice was exciting. This was a homeless teenager who was dealing with HIV, just getting off the streets. Someone whose work spoke to an aspect of American culture I hadn't heard about before. And so she gets an essay published in a book called Close to the Bone. And it's like a super big deal. It's the first time she ever gets published. And then that somehow 
turns into another book deal again because people are just like rabid for this to like make this kid super famous because the story is so unbelievable yeah you guys when something is so unbelievable google it first <laughs> ask questions if something is so insane I, I can't don't just be like this is so insane i'm taking it at face value but that's why i'm saying again they all they they, totally. they wanted it to they don't care they and, didn't care if it was real as long as they were making money and getting more famous right and it was it'll be as real for as long as it could be real right. and then they'll all deal with the fallout exactly so she gets this book deal and she wants she wants hero bells for this but she's not <laughs> fucking getting them she's just like nobody walks away from a book deal but i did because i knew that it's not true and you can't publish something that's not true and i right. knew that i was this persona and blah 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 and i'm like bitch then what happened what is the rest of the movie about we have an hour and a half to go why why do you want medals for for like i know acting like you were a stand-up person for five minutes it's true i knew i still needed to write i still wanted to write but i wasn't gonna fucking write that shit and I didn't let them publish the work. You sure as fuck don't walk away from a book deal. And I did. So in September 1997, like, she gets pregnant. This girl, Laura Albert, gets pregnant. And they have a child. Jillian, what's the child's name? Thor. <laughs> the name, not the child. So they have a kid named Thor. I have so there's another whole podcast to be made about how like nobody saved that child. We we see images of this kid like with JT Leroy in costume uh-huh. when we get there, like being told that they are all a big family. Like this kid must not know what the fuck end is up. And the fa- the father is Jeff slash Aster. Yes. So then it's like all these photos of the kid, and again, like hopefully the kid someone saved. I don't know where that. Where, we where don't know. Thor? We get no information at the end of what happens. She doesn't talk, and we're you guys. Our narrator is present day Laura. Yeah, she doesn't say anything. Yep. This is totally her story. She is calling the shots. She wants us to know exactly what she wants us to know. Right, totally. Doesn't mention the kid. Right. Uh, it's. I, I mean, I, that's the thing I hate the most about this documentary. But she starts talking about how like her how she has done the biggest betrayal possible to JT because JT wants to be a boy but now she's so hopelessly female because she's given birth to a baby and the baby is is nursing on her body and she feels like she has denied JT Leroy the opportunity to live essentially right because now he's not her number one focus right but one day <laughs> the door of willingness opened. Yeah. Whatever that means. <laughs> and she starts writing the book that will become Sarah. It was exactly like watching a movie. It was like a 1940s serial on cliffhanger. I would only see to the next road sign. I was in the fog. I'd get right up to that point. Then I'd end it. I didn't know where it was going to go ever, but it kept leading me and I would just watch it unfold. And it was so much fun. So we hear from her editor. We meet the editor of, for this book, Sarah, and how, like, literally he just, like, he says that this book just felt fully formed when, when she handed in the draft. Sarah came in and it felt fully formed. It was like Athena emerging from Zeus's head. It sounded like a vision sounds. So we got your, your book and all, and everyone at the publishing company and Ira and everybody is just, like, really excited about it. And it's just one of those things where the editor is like, these stories, these all these short stories feel like a book. Sold. Let's go. <laughs> Cut. Print. Like, 
<laughs> Everyone is just so willing to like, no, let's just, we're on this train a yep. hundred zillion percent miles per hour. Let's just go. It's funny. So she talks about how the, when the book was like the book comes out and it gets these like amazing reviews and we see the screen grabs of like the literary story of the of the year. When we start getting reviews back and they're really, really good. And it's the most exciting feeling to get this response from this book that I didn't mean to write. I was really a big reader back then. It's hard to understand or to even remind people what a big fucking deal this book was. Mm -hmm. This book, back when people still read books, back when I still read books, this book was such a big fucking deal. Right. Lori's also on the phone with her publisher talking about how she just really needs to have surgery to get rid of her penis. Is that been like a sex change thing? Yeah, I've been planning it for a long time. I uh, I hate having a penis. I want to be, I want to, I just want to be rid of it. It's not like it does me any good. Like, calm down, Laura. Like, I know. play it cool a little bit. Stop with the, like, she really lays it on so thick, and everyone is just like, yep, 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 yep. I no know. one is thinking, like, this is feeling really intense. They're all like, this is so intense. I know. I'm, like, I'm cool, and in the New York art scene, fuck you. <laughs> like, so, for some reason, the book is really popular in Germany. And so the Germans want to do, they're being insistent that they want to do an in-person interview. At least the Germans were like, no, right. <laughs> nine, you were like, we're done with this elusive bullshit. Stop it. I mean, the German media really, really wanting to do live in-person interviews. JT Leroy had to walk amongst us. But it's kind of amazing because Jeff has a sister named Savannah right. who was like over at their house one day. And she'd shaved her head and dyed her hair blue. And she wanted to try on my glasses. I had this straw hat. And I'm looking at her and I said, you know, you look like JT Leroy. You see a picture of this girl and she could not have been more perfect. Right. She is super androgynous looking. So I came up with an idea. Just a one-off you wear the sunglasses, a cute blonde wig, will like bind your boobs, be really fast, you'll get 50 bucks. And she was down. We'll slap a wig on you and some sunglasses and nobody will be the wiser. And pay you 50 bucks. (laughs) You guys, in the industry, whatever, pay your talent. Don't do the whole like, you'll get a great experience thing. Don't do that. We're over it. So Savannah, the thing about it is that Savannah takes to this like white on rice. It kind of just started out as like a joke or whatever. But like Laura was really nervous that like, you know, she's got this best selling book now. And she's like, is Savannah going to be able to like live up to, is she going to be able to like talk in the voice to act in the same way? And Savannah just like knocks it out of the park. Like she's perfect at it. Right. And she's just like, I feel like I'm floating. And I'm like, oh. I feel and it was amazing to watch how he actually settled into her. She just had those features that were more masculine, which fit perfectly for an adolescent boy. And of course, Laura's like, JT just settled right into her. <laughs> or, uh, it's 
exhausting. <laughs> it's just exhausting. And it was this really liberating moment because it was almost like in Frankenstein, let there be life. I was watching JT live. Now we're back to 1980. Uh-huh. So her mom had like dropped her off at a mental institution. Right. Whatever. And, <laughs> and now in 1980, she says that she was like alienated after she came back and no, she didn't have any friends. So she just sort of like found the punk music scene. I heard those records and my fate was sealed. I mean, it was everything. That was it. But I would only go out if I felt I'd lost enough weight. If I could fit into an outfit that was punk enough. There's nothing worse than being a fat punk. There's nothing worse than being a fat punk. Laura, there are plenty of (laughs) things that are horrible. Like, I don't know, lying about having AIDS or who you are. It's like totally being a hoax. I don't know. Um, So she was like, you know, feeling really self-conscious. But the punk scene, she was drawn to that because, of course, the whole thing about being like in the punk scene is like all the misfits coming together. And if you can't, you know, it was perfect. Totally. But she was too self-conscious to do it herself. Right. So she has her sister (laughs) go out and live the scene for her. This is insane. Jojo was my avatar in the punk world. I would dress her up. I'd put on her makeup. I would do her hair. I had a leather jacket. I would put the badges on her. I would choose a t-shirt. I perfected her look, which was borderline androgynous. Like she could be a guy, but she also looked cute. I would tell her who she was gonna talk to, who she was gonna meet, and she had to report back to me, and I'd send her off. Because Laura like couldn't deal with her weight, Girls, I know. you look exactly the fucking same in those pictures. You're the exact way. You, you're like twins. Yes, it's What true. are you talking about? You just like doing this. Stop making excuses for it. You just right. like doing this totally. shit. <laughs> I was as intensely deep in the scene as I could possibly get, living in my head, watching it unfold without actually having to be there. So now we learn about, oh, you guys, we learn about, we we get like a little iconic clip from My Own Private Idaho. Yeah. It's a scene where Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix pull up on the motorcycle. Yep. Hey, Mike, how long have I been here on this street, on this crusade? Oh, well, well I came back to town around three and a half years ago, and that's when I met you, so it's, it's been, it's been three years, Mike. Yeah, almost four years. That's a long time. But basically, from this My Own Private Idaho thing, we learned that, like, Laura is, like, obsessed with Gus Van Zandt. I hear you, girl. Mm -hmm. I loved Gus Van Zandt's My Own Private Idaho. So when he wanted to option Sarah, it was as if we were following a path that was already predestined. I'm working on um, trying to figure out a way to do your book. Oh, yes? But you didn't know about that. No, I had no clue. (laughs) I had no idea. Gee. I think I have to go to West Virginia to um, research truck stops. So he's going to come to San Francisco to, like, talk to J.T. Leroy about the movie. And he brings the actor Michael Pitt. Do you remember Michael Pitt? Of course. From, like, Elephant and um, The Dreamers. Is that what it was called? Oh, yeah, yeah. The and one where he does Full Frontal. Google it. You can find it. And most recently, Boardwalk Empire. Oh, is that really? Yeah, he got he fired was... from it because he was a dick. Oh, God, he's so fucking Apparently, sexy. allegedly. Whatever. <laughs> Anyway, Gus Van Sant and Michael Pitt come to San Francisco and like, 
And of course, Laura has this problem where it's her book that they're trying to option and she wants to talk to him about it, but like she's living this persona as Speedy. Remember Speedy? Yeah, Speedy is now JT Leroy's agent or assistant or whatever. British, whatever. So her idea is like, okay, well, Savannah has to show up as JT Leroy. So there's like a person like this is actually JT Leroy. But she doesn't know the details like Laura does. Right. So Laura as Speedy becomes this super loud, obnoxious person and kind of takes over the conversation so that JT doesn't have that responsibility of actually talking. And I really want to find out what he wants to do with Sarah. And it's like, why should he be talking to Speedy? JT's assistant about his plans for Sarah. And Speedy is right up in Gus's face. Oh, Gus, God, you know, my own private eyes hope is so fucking great. River Phoenix, oh my God, what was he like? Speedy had to overcompensate with this kind of entertaining fat girl persona. Savannah as JT is literally only the in-person JT. Whenever any of these phone calls are happening, it's always Laura pretending to be JT Leroy. So Savannah is only JT Leroy in person. And when it's time to make out with Michael Pitt randomly. (laughs) We're outside the restaurant with Gus Van Zandt. And we're just hanging out. And JT and Mike Pitt are smoking a cigarette. And next thing I know, they're kissing. All of a sudden, there's Michael Pitt making out with JT Leroy. Now, in the actual real world, if you believe that JT Leroy is real, that's a boy. And right. Michael Pitt is making out with a boy. It's so hot I could die. And there are photos of it. I know. It's Again, amazing. Again, where are the Like, I just can't. I know. <laughs> um, so then, like, she's on the phone. Laura, as JT, is on the phone saying, like, yeah, well, you know, it's like he was making out with a girl. Because he was. Right. <laughs> So now people are just giving him all this shit. There's this whole thing where they're like backstage at a U2 concert and Bono's giving the Bono talk about like, you're, <laughs> like you're famous now. You're one of us. Yeah, totally. Like here's how to deal with fame. Like whatever. <laughs> it's what happens to every artist when they've arrived. It's their anointment in to what will be coming next. It's to help usher them through the portal. Oh, real, real quick, let me just interject. September 2001, Laura is 320 pounds, pre-diabetic. She gets gastric bypass. And this is where Laura transforms. Because we've seen video and pictures of her before this. And she was a, a very big woman. And mm-hmm. she talks a lot about how she was not comfortable with her. She hated her body. Right. When you see modern Laura in the movie now, she is like bone thin. Yeah. Botoxed for Jesus. I mean. I know. Like, I can't girl, believe she can even move her mouth. It's girl, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so, hey, can I ask you a question? Sure. Where's JT Laurie really big? Italy. (laughs) Italians love JT. The books are number one and number two on the bestseller list. So the Italian publishers, Fazzi, bring JT and Speedy over to Italy to do readings. They go to this, like, there's this big literary event where Savannah, as JT, has to do a reading. You can see her in the video. She's shaking. It's her first real public appearance, like, actually reading to a stadium. And it's a, you guys, it's not a little bookstore in Brooklyn. No, it's a stadium. It's like. In Europe, they still care about books, you guys. Yeah, still. Um, (laughs) She's really scared. Her body is trembling. So I think to myself, what would Warhol do? Like, Laura, calm down. And she's like, you know, just like, fuck it. Just like hide under the, under the chair. I tell her, get under the table. Fuck them. And she does. 
She takes the microphone and goes under the table. The Italians eat it up, guys. <laughs> and she's like sitting behind the chair, reading the book, trembling. And then she gets up and like walks into the microphone. And she turns around and goes face first into the microphone. And they are living for it. And you just hear from the entire audience a gasp. And then they go, <gasps> and they love it. They can do no wrong. As a pair, they can do I know, no wrong. I know. Oh, to the bitter end, by the way. They, they to the bitter end, do this their way. So they meet this, like, very famous um, Italian actress, Asia Argento, whose dad is, like, a big director. She's, like, a big actor. Whatever. Asia really wants the rights to Sarah. Right. And also really wants JT Leroy. Which is so crazy. Everyone is gay for JT. I know. It's hilarious. Like, like no matter what I, you, the no matter are what gay you're for JT, into, the yeah. girls are gay for JT. It doesn't matter. Asia swept JT off his feet. It's June. It's Rome. I'm watching JT go off with Asia. It was made very clear that I was in the way. Again, photos of them all over each other, video of them like riding and on the bed together. And Argento is a huge fucking star. Like this is not a small thing in Italy. Right. JT comes back to the hotel where we are with lipstick all over her face, smelling like Asia's perfume. And she was high and her wig had come off and she had had something happen. You guys. <laughs> JT is played by Savannah, who's like totally a wo- born a woman, like a like a cis woman, yes, you guys. Yeah, like, yeah. she's a woman. So, but like, that means Asia is totally complicit. She t- one billion percent knows that this is th- not real, that this right. is not, that this person was not born a boy. She, so here's what, th- just real quick, Gus Van Zandt's option on Sarah expires. So then Asia, Asia, whatever, is like, great. I, so she swoops in and gets the rights to Sarah. Asia was going to get that book one way or the other. She would do whatever it took, whatever needed to be done. And I respected that. And I thought, yeah, you can make this movie. So now JT Leroy is surrounded by celebrities, wants to get into the art world, the music world. And her book agent is like, stop it. Go back to writing. Like, enough. Stop living this stupid art world. I hate that term and that whole thing. So Laura's like, no, I'm going to start a band now. (laughs) This is my favorite. And band is in all the air quotes. The band is called Thistle. Thistle. T-H-I-S-T-L-E. J.T. Leroy is the lyricist. Laura is the singer, but now Laura is Emily Fraser. And Jeff slash Aster is the guitar player. Are you guys keeping up? So now Laura has a reason to be at these like events and be to the forefront because you know it is eating her alive that she can't be more prominent. Right. You know? And now she lost all this weight and now Speedy has morphed into Emily. Right. (laughs) Who is like with this red hair and like Emily's also British sometimes. (laughs) Holy fucking shit, eh? I usually have lyrics. It's very hard to live with a, a lyricist and a writer who's in there. What the fuck did you do to my words? <laughs> Where, as they say in Ireland, Tissel, 
So here's what happens. JT Leroy has gotten so famous and everyone is up his or her ass that yeah. they there's they've reached a point where JT can pick up the phone right. and call any publication and say, I feel like interviewing this person. I want to be in touch with this person. Can I do it for you? And yeah. they say, yes, yes, yes. We thought you'd never ask. So she calls Interview Magazine and she loves Smashing Pumpkins because everyone loves Smashing Pumpkins yeah. at the time. And she calls Interview Magazine. Can I interview Billy Corgan? Sure. They like threw Billy Corgan at her. Yeah. And Billy Corgan, they like start like now Billy Corgan has this new band, Zwan. Didn't like, last What the long. fuck is that? Just be Smashing Pumpkins. Like <laughs> you're doing what, like if it ain't broke, Billy. <laughs> So they did the interview because that's how she lives now. Right. She could just Over the phone or whatever. Over the phone. So then they like go to the show. So after the show, we go backstage and I'm really nervous. Billy's sitting there in the back and he asks me, where's JT? And she's like, I'm sorry, JT ran away. <laughs> and we just start talking. And we're connecting in ways that... Language doesn't even capture. Language can't even capture the way Billy Coggan and I were connecting. <laughs> and I'm picking up that I can tell him anything. I remember this feeling. It felt like I was Tarzan and I was just grabbing hold of the vine and I was swinging out over the gorge. And I knew I'm going to fucking let go. And I said to him, JT was an accident. And she just like spills the beans to Billy Corgan. <laughs> sings like a canary to Billy Corgan and tells him everything. And he said, I understand what you're saying. I don't get all the details, but I get it. And the rest of the night, we just talked about the details. It was the most free, amazing feeling ever. Again, I'm going to say it. You know, it was eating her alive that she couldn't tell people what was really happening. And that she was a star. So, again, Billy Corgan is now totally complicit. So now we've got Asia Argenta and Billy Corgan to 100% in on this hoax. Right. And this stupid bullshit about, like, physically I was here, but then JT was speaking to Billy. And it's oh, like, it's you such... just said you came clean! I, <laughs> I literally have. Are they going to be caught soon? <laughs> I don't care. It's like they then the movie gets made and there's a press conference and it's like, when does this shit start to unravel? It's right. so obvious. She's running her mouth, blabbing all over town. And then we're like on the set of Deadwood. <laughs> like, because again, JT Leroy, like she as Laura decides that she like loves Deadwood. So as JT Leroy, she tries to get a gig writing on Deadwood and she totally gets it. She fucking gets it. And yeah. she goes down there and she spills the beans to the creator of Deadwood. And there are all these pictures of her with like Timothy Oliphant and like Al Swearingen and you're like, oh my God. You guys, we this has taken such a sharp right turn. We're on the set of Deadwood. I can't get over it. And I'm like, wait, what? So then this reporter calls and I'm like, fucking finally. <laughs> And they start, like, investigating the JT Leroy story. Because yeah. someone was finally like, mm. I mean, I think you know that... that no, I'm looking... I don't... Oh, hold on a second. So the rumors that I'm looking into aren't that Dennis Cooper, Gus Van Zandt wrote the book, but that Speedy and Astor are the masterminds behind that, which would imply that the person that I'm actually speaking to right now is probably Speedy. But and I'm not here person. to try to say no, it's not, because it very well may be true. I'm not 
gonna help you. And now it's 2005, so like the internet has happened, right. and I think totally. people were just like, oh, okay. Wait, so it starts with New York Magazine. New York Magazine calls her, and she gives like the weirdest response to him about like, well, maybe it is true, maybe it's not true, maybe I'm you, maybe you're me. Like it's the weirdest. It's the weirdest. Like, yes, I'm totally busted. It reminded me of that part in Madonna Truth or Dare where Madonna's brother was like, I know what time it is with her, and she knows what time it is with me, and I'm like, well, what the fuck time is it? I don't know what time it is. What are you, it's 2:48. I don't know what you're talking about. And then there's a message from Shirley Manson from Garbage. Right, totally. Who's like, I'll, I'm more than willing to defend your existence. You guys, I'm not doing a Scottish accent. It's just not going to happen. Hey, KT, it's Shirley. Hope you and Speedy and Esther are doing okay and all of this madness. Ridiculous. And I'm more than willing to defend your existence. We get this like round robin of phone calls from like all these people calling being like, I will totally defend your existence. Right. And then there's this guy, Warren St. John from the New York Times, who's like made it his mission to out all of them. Yeah. Here's what's interesting here. There's no audio of that call, but present day Laura like recounts it for us. Totally. I call such bullshit on that. <laughs> such bullshit on that. And of course, what she says is like, you know, and my cell phone rings. And it's Warren St. John. He says to me, I'm going to get you for violating the Patriot Act. And I definitely got you on mail fraud. And as JT, I'm begging him. Just please don't, don't do this. And I know that the story is about to be broken. There is a huge tornado that's about to hit. So basically, like, the New York Times is like, I, we've got your number. Like, we know that this isn't real. And the smoking gun, as they say, is a picture of Savannah as Savannah. What the article had was a piece of the jigsaw puzzle that nobody had found before. A photo of Savannah with no wig, no hat, no sunglasses. It's all her, and it's the smoking gun. It's so weird, because now, like, I guess with Facebook and all of that, like, this was before Facebook, like, pictures, you could find a picture of anybody, but, like, back then, you couldn't just find pictures of people. Right, right. That was the big, that was the big deal. Yeah. So now, Laura is going down in flames. Yeah. The hoax is blown up. Right, and then there's, like, some people, some journalists calling, like, I don't know, to be disgusted or disappointed, like, their publicist calls and says that. Hey, guys, it's Lisa. I just want to say that... Or whomever the hell I am talking to. I don't know if I'm more disgusted or hurt that I was dragged into this whole thing. And you put a lot of people's professional credibility on the line. Yeah, there are like hate calls, confusion yeah. calls, and then a call from Courtney Love. <laughs> Who literally had nothing else to do that day. Except one very important thing. So Courtney Love is like, yeah, let's fucking write new, let's write new shit together, man. Let's do it. But I really gotta, I really gotta be involved. And Courtney Love is basically, like you said, the biggest hanger on ever. And it's like, I don't care that you're full of shit, but let's do it all together. Yeah. And then, yeah, you guys, get, are you comfortable? Sit down. Maybe get some popcorn. Courtney Love. This is the most. Court, she court is like Courtney Love, the ultimate court. Courtney Love, just Courtney Love, just so hard. She says. I have a really small line of coke, and I don't want to put you on hold. Do you mind if I do it? No, but I don't know. You guys, I have a really small... First of all, let's analyze it. Let's just break this down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a really small line of coke. I don't want to put you on hold. Do you mind if I do it? (laughs) Then she snorts for what seems like 35 seconds. But let's write it together. It is not. That she, that was not a bump of coke. I'm sorry, Courtney. Yeah, let's just do it together, man. Yeah, I know you're totally full of shit, but we just got to do it. I'm like, oh, 
She literally snorts. It's why the movie is almost two hours long. It's that scene. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Laura's like, yeah, sure. I'll hold. <laughs> um, all right. So then stupid husband or not stupid husband or whatever, Jeff slash Aster tells them all down the river. Because yes. he's like, wait, I want to be famous too, you guys. So he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I was the mastermind behind the whole thing. He not only sells them out, I but know. he makes himself to have a bigger role than he actually Totally. Savannah and I were determined not to break rank. We just weren't going to the media. We were shutting the fuck up. Even with the photos of her out there, they still couldn't absolutely prove it. But Jeff, Savannah's brother, my partner of almost 18 years, he breaks rank. Jeff went to the New York Times. He held up the surrender flag. And he told them that, yeah, it was me. I wrote the books. And he puts the final nail in J.T. Leroy's coffin. So Savannah pops up into the doc. I was like, she must not have agreed to be interviewed. But then yeah. all of a sudden, there she is. Like for four seconds. Yeah, totally. And so she says her piece. What made people actually believe that you were the writer? I think people believed I was the writer because I said I was the writer. I mean, I just that's what it boils down to. It, belief is based on this kind of contract around what you say you do and and then you assume that's what you do. And then, like, we we learn that, like, Laura gets sued by the film production company because she actually signed a contract as J.T. Leroy. So she gets f- sued for $350,000, which I'm sure she has. Yeah. And then... The, the book sold like crazy. Right. And like you said, fiction. Yeah. Having fiction on it saved her yep. ass. Yeah. Girl, I gotta say, I'm sad that that's done and behind us. You loved every second of it. I have been looking forward to talking to you about that since before I even knew you. I mean, do you think she's a monster? I think she's probably not well. I also think that she's like a super amazing writer. And I think that she, like, I think that if she had gone about it a different way, she could have had a really successful writing career. I'd be curious to find out, like, if she's still writing, what she's doing. I want to know what the fuck happened to her kid. Yeah, that is, that's, yeah. Do you think she's a monster? Well, I think even like the whole thing about the pedophilia and like the rape and everything, and then yeah. like that's all she writes about too. I know. It's a very sadistic. I don't know. I'm just I'm not, not into it. It's not my thing at all. It's one of those things where I'd read the book. It like I wouldn't be able to read it because I'd have like images in my head and not be able to go to sleep. Totally on like a nightly basis. So I just yeah. don't care. It's like not my thing. I don't <laughs> yeah. care. And you lied. I just like whatever. I know. Um, you guys, reminder, Patreon. We're up to episode four now. We're up to serial episode four. We've oh got God. a whole bunch of mini episodes, two other full bonus episodes. We referenced the Madonna Truth or Dare one. You guys. It's so good. Oh, my God. Remember Queen of Versailles? Remember yeah. how much I hated it? <laughs> There's hated so it. much stuff for you to listen to. Yeah. Um, check out our other podcast, my so-called podcast. Yeah. Uh, girl, where can they find us? They can find us at True Crime Obsessed on the Twitter and truecrimeobsessed.com and True Crime Obsessed Podcast on Instagram. Um, where can they find you? At Jillian with a G on all the things. Uh, I'm at Patrick Hines on the Twitter, at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram. Um, what are we doing next? The 7-5. Oh, yeah. Corrupt New York City cops in the <laughs> 70s and 80s? All right. No problem. Here for it. You guys stay tuned for our hilarious outtakes. Tim, 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 Tim. Look for the extended outtakes on Patreon. Yep. And our palate cleanser today is going to be from Hedwig. What else? Angry Inch. Oh, Hedwig. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Bye, love you, bye. Bye. New York is in the grips of a crime wave. It was like the heyday of crack. It was violent, man. 
homicides, robberies, rapes. It was a war zone. East New York, Brooklyn, 7-5 precinct, the deadliest precinct in the country. Who did I burn to get put here? It would scare Clint Eastwood. When I first went to the precinct, I hear about this guy, Mike Dowd. Mike is just crazy. Michael Dowd was a crook who ended up wearing a cop's uniform. He was a criminal. Once in a generation, corrupt cop. I consider myself both a cop and a gangster. Forget about Beverly Hills and all that other stuff. The ghetto is one of the richest neighborhoods there is. Maybe there's some way we can make money from this. La Compañía. It's a very serious Dominican gang. $24,000 in our hands to talk. Mike was a brain. Say no problem. In his business, if you mess up, you got killed. I'm a New York City cop. I'm taking a risk of going to jail for a long period of time. And you're gonna short me a dime? His word against mine. And I'm a cop. I'd break your neck if your neck needs a break. I had three machines counting money, and it's still not enough time. Everybody on the floor now! There's no becoming a cop again. You're gonna have me killed. We knew we were up against a really tough crew. A month ago, I was a regular cop, and now I'm a criminal. That's what they taught us in the police academy. Got a guy in the front, a guy in the back, got an entry team. You felt like you were God. The normal person that's doing wrong is going to have a fear of being caught. I never had a fear about getting busted. Michael Dowd did not have any fear. Because the cops around me would never give me up. Welcome to the outtakes. But I'm bum. She's on the phone with Tom Waits. I know. <laughs> What's up, Tom Waits? <laughs> you seem so present. Okay, Tom Waits. <laughs> Wait. And now, do we have to talk about the raccoon penis bones or what? No, fuck that. <laughs> oh, no, this isn't the blow. This is later. That's later. That's at the end. Because I had to Courtney Love just blow this thing wide open, and my <laughs> eyes got caught by blow. <laughs> if Super Hot Husband Mike was like, hey... <laughs> I need you to just be this persona for all my phone calls that I'm making. I'd be like, sweetheart. We don't call each other sweetheart. That was right. weird. Um, you see these like super angsty. That's a little inside joke for the Patreon. Sorry about that. Courtney Love is just like, somehow Courtney Love has become the worst hanger on you could ever imagine. She's just the girl you don't want to call back. We haven't even gotten to the, we haven't even gotten to the meat of the Courtney Love involvement in this story. Um, How has Courtney Love been on like eight of our episodes? She's our biggest fan. I know. She's got a lot, she's done a lot of work in the world of true crime. She, you know what? Hey. And then somebody screams, we love you, Winona! And she's like, JT is such a she's like she's like you guys I know but we're here for JT I look back on where I'm from look at the woman I've become and the strangest things here suddenly routine I look up from either mouth on the rocks a gift wrapped wig spinning on the box
Yeah. 